Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. It's good to see you all. What a blessing it is that we're able to have the freedom and liberty to come together in Jesus' name without fear of persecution and conflict and even personal harm. And on this Remembrance Sunday, um, we appreciate that there are those who held clear Christian convictions who died that we might enjoy this liberty and this freedom. And so we're able to give thanks to the Lord for that and um, ensure that we don't take the grace of God for granted as it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. The grace that God has given us, the opportunity that we have, that we don't take it for granted, as some do. And so as we gather together again, we gather around the word of the Lord, trusting that the spirit of the Lord will edify and encourage, build up and, and motivate us, the people of the Lord. Amen. We're in a series presently um, called Assure Assurance, and it is a series in the book of 1 John. John's desire to assure those and give confidence to those who are God's and to cause those who are not to be assaulted with concern to the end that they might become gods by submitting their lives to Christ. And so we're in chapter 3 today, and um, we're looking at verses 4 to 10. And um, I'm going to read from verse 1 and then pray. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him, sorry, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, 
for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Heavenly Father, we, appreci- we appreciate, Lord, that you are God and you are holy. And in saving the people, Lord, you save the people that we would be your own, that we would be your people. And in being your people, we would be like you. We recognize, Lord, that there are many who claim to be your people. And yet, by your word, we recognize that it is those who endeavor and give themselves to being like you. Those are the ones who are truly your people. My prayer today, Lord, is that all of us will be challenged in our hearts, that those of us who are yours would be encouraged and strengthened, that those of us who are not yours would be convicted and drawn and also encouraged to come to you and be made yours. Have your way among us, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been going through 1 John, we've come to a place where John has returned to describing some scenarios that are proofs or evidences regarding a person's genuine calling and relationship with God. Evidences that are things that demonstrate a person genuinely has relationship with God. A couple of weeks ago, I popped around to um, my local off-license to buy some chocolate for my daughter. It was late at night, and when I I, I ran around there, I just just had my house shorts on and a body warmer and a T-shirt and a cap, and I was literally just running. And I went into the shop, and there was a long queue of people in the shop, and there were about three members of staff. So thankfully, I saw the chocolate that I wanted, and it was on offer, which was, it's always a bonus, the bargains, you know? And um, I, had, I actually had the right money. And so in having the right money, I just picked up the chocolate, and rather than waiting to get into the till, I saw another member of staff, and you know, as you do, you see an opportunity for a quick getaway, and so I just gave him the money, he looked at the chocolate, took the money, everything was fine, and I left. Now, with it being late on a Friday night, and this shop being frequented by students, um, it seems that they have extra staff in there um, that are kind of performing a a security-type role. (laughs) We haven't got there yet. (laughs) So anyway, I left the shop unchallenged. I was um, almost halfway home, 
And I heard somebody, excuse me, excuse me. I thought I didn't think they were speaking to me at first. Excuse me, excuse me. And he came alongside and he tapped me. And as a gentleman, and he kind of had a, a shirt on and a, and a kind of suit jacket and some trousers. And he said, um, I noticed you just came from the shop and you, you took that chocolate there. So I said, well, I didn't take the chocolate. I bought the chocolate. Hmm, okay, well, can you just come back with me to the shop so we can discuss this? So I said, okay, well, I'm happy to come back with you to the shop so we can discuss this, but let me just first clarify to you. First and foremost, I paid one of the other staff members behind the counter who was to the right-hand end of the counter, and I described him. Described him. Um, and furthermore, I don't even know you. Who are you? Why are you asking me to follow you anywhere? Have you got some evidence or ID to show me that I, I really ought to listen to you and follow you? you know, he tried to kind of present himself actually as a, as, a, as a policeman. So he said, no, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go to the shop and we can talk about this because I, I, I know you have the chocolate. I said, yeah, I've got the chocolate, chocolate's here and I showed it, showed it to him. But I just want to clarify, I'm happy to come with you if you can show me some kind of ID as to why I should. So he opened his wallet and he took out a business card. <laughs> and it was a business card for someone else. <laughs> and I said, is that supposed to be ID? I said, that isn't any ID whatsoever. I said, look, I'm happy to come with you, but I don't know who you are. I don't know where, you, where you're expecting to lead me or, or what your motive is. And he said, oh, oh it's okay, it's okay, it's all right. Um, I'm, I'm sure you paid for it, I'm sure you paid for it. And I said... Well, I did. And he said, okay, well, have a good night. Have a good night. And so um, I, I, at one point I said to him, look, you know, I'm going to my house. My house is right there. So if you want to see where I live, you can see where I live. You can always come and check me for the money if you're really thinking that it's, um, if it's stolen. But I can show you who I am. Can you show me who you are? And um, evidently he couldn't. He had no proof of evidence. He had no, he had nothing to affirm his professed identity. And for us as Christians, the Apostle John is saying, look, there are things that affirm your identity and your status and your relationship with God. And in this case, it's walking in righteousness. Now, there are three categories in the, the, the last verses, um, verses 18 to verse 3. We saw John's emphasis was doctrinal soundness, actually holding to the truth and not to heresy or error. So there was a, a doctrinal test applied by which individuals would be identified as truly being of God. Here he speaks of a moral test. He'll go on to speak of a social test as to us loving one another. And so for Christians, there are supposed to be things that characterize and mark our lives as genuinely being God's. And if somebody doesn't bear those distinctive marks, it should cause that individual 
to be concerned about themselves. And so, in verse 4, John says, Everyone, without exception, everyone amongst all people, everyone who makes a practice of sin, sinning also practices lawlessness. Now, just to highlight again, I mean, at the beginning of the series, I mentioned that there are a few key words that we come across that help us to have a proper understanding of the text. In our verses today, we see the term practice used six times in these verses. Not only is the term practice used, but also the phrase keeps on. So we see this in verse six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. We see this in verse nine. And he cannot keep on sinning. And so we see this phrase being used, and this phrase is being used in the same way that the term practice is being used. And it basically speaks of one who has an intentional and repetitive manner. An intentional and repetitive manner. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning. So again, I highlight, this isn't John talking about those who struggle with sin. This is not talking about those who are grieved by their sin. But this is speaking of those who sin and for whom it's not an issue. Those who sin, and for that individual, it's not an issue. It's something that actually, more often than not, is either justified or excused. It's justified or excused. So I used to work in a car audio shop and there used to be guys that would try and sell stolen goods and I refused to buy it and they was just like, like, come on, you're getting a great deal. And I'm like, how can you be selling me someone else's belongings that don't belong to you? Oh, but you know, it's all right because they've got insurance. And so automatically in their mind, it was excusable or even justifiable. They've got money. They're not going to miss it. You know, man's got to try and take care of himself out here. And so in that individual's mind, the act of sin that they were participating in, that they were committing, was excusable or justifiable. I know people who in the past have found very creative ways to evade paying electricity bills. Believe it or not. They've been able to bypass the meter and run electricity to their property without it being metered. And so the electric company have no record of the electricity being used by this individual. And in their mind, it's justifiable because they're a big thieving corporation. They exploit the little people. And so we ought to fight back. 
Well, the reality is, despite their reasoning, everyone suffers in that situation because when the electricity companies come to reconcile their accounts and they see that there's more electricity that's been used than has been paid for, all they do is what? Put the bills up. And so however justifiable it may seem, it's still sin. And yet, there are so many, in so many areas of life, who find sin acceptable. And therefore repeatedly commit sin. But John says this is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The breaking of God's law, the breaking of God's commandments. I thank God for the ministry of Ray Comfort and um, Way of the Master. Um, years and years and years ago, I first came across the book, Hell's Best Kept Secret. And it transformed my understanding of the gospel. It transformed my understanding and my approach to evangelism. And at the heart of it is the recognition that there is none good and it is the law of God that helps us to understand that. And so you speak to most people and you say, um, do you think you're good enough to go to heaven? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, you know. Um, you know, I, I, in their mind, I haven't murdered anyone. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a bad person. Yeah, I think I'm good enough to go to heaven. And so from that point, they obviously have a misunderstanding or a lack of appreciation for who they really are in the sight of God. If we measure ourselves with ourselves, if we measure ourselves in comparison to others, we're okay. You know, that person is so vindictive and they're so, um, you know, malicious and thank the Lord I'm not like them. And yet, we too can be unforgiving. We too can be unconsiderate, lacking care or compassion. It's just another extreme of the same attitude. And so by the law of God, we are exposed and undone and revealed to be who we really are. So you've never murdered anyone, but Jesus said if you've had hate in your heart toward a person, you've already as good as killed them. Genuine hatred. Now people say that hate is a strong word, but the reality is that most, if not all people, at some point or another in our lives have hated someone, even if it was for a brief moment. So I used to say at one point in my life, I hate my mum. I grew up with my grandmother. My mum left me when I was three months old. I'd never heard from her, never seen her, didn't know her reasons or circumstances as to why. And so growing up, I had a hatred in my heart toward my mum. 
I've hated. In the sight of God, I've as good as committed murder. All I lacked is opportunity. Now, thank the Lord that he dealt with that hatred in my heart by means of his word. So my grand shared with me, you know what? If you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. You don't know your mum's reasons why and so on and so forth. And so you need to give that to God and leave it there. Otherwise, it's going to be problems for you. And that, that, that truth, the Bible says in John 8, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that truth set me free. Because I didn't continue on in life mad at the world. As so many people do. When they experience rejection, when they experience abuse, they carry that hatred until it becomes poison within the heart. And even some of you, you still have those the residue of that, that hatred and that animosity towards those who have failed you and let you down. God is a mighty deliverer. But what it does is it exposes the reality of our nature, that we are sinners and that we are lawbreakers. And the thing is, time doesn't forgive sin. We think, okay, well, that was back then. You know, I could say that was back then. I don't feel that way anymore. If I hadn't come to God and submitted my life to Christ and received forgiveness through his death on the cross, regardless of how long ago it was and how much I don't feel that way anymore, I would still be guilty of that sin. Just like those war criminals who were caught 60 years later for something they'd done during the war. And they are tried and they are convicted and they are sent to jail. Some of them pillars of the community. Time doesn't forgive sin. And once the sin is committed, it is recorded against our name. A record is kept. And until that record is reconciled, those things remain on our record and we will be judged for them. And so we are sinners, we are lawbreakers, and the very act of sin itself is lawlessness. The very essence of sin itself is lawlessness. At the heart of our sinfulness is the desire and act of pleasing ourselves rather than pleasing God, God who is holy. Every time we sin, we make a choice to please ourselves rather than to please God. And so that becomes the essence of sin. Righteousness, on the other hand, is the desire and act of pleasing God who is holy rather than ourselves. And this is true for all sin. The Bible talks of sins we commit in doing wrong and things that we do that are sin. Well, I should rephrase that. Sins that also are counted against us because of things that we don't do. 
So you have sins of commission and sins of omission. James 4, 17. He who knows to do a thing that is right and does not do it, to him that thing is sin. And so the individual that says, you know, I'm not a bad person, I haven't murdered, I haven't haven't stolen, I haven't... Well, have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Because any omission, any lack of obedience to those two expectations, those two commands of God cause us to be found guilty before a holy God. In chapter 5, verse 17 of 1 John, he says that all unrighteousness is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. Every act of unrighteousness, every act of not putting God first and seeking to please ourselves rather than God in thought, word, or action. All unrighteousness is sin. And so are you free from sin today? Are you free from guilt before God. And it's somewhat of an uncomfortable place to sit in, considering our sinfulness before God. And it's meant to be uncomfortable. We're not supposed to feel comforted. We're not supposed to feel good about sin. We're not supposed to feel as though sin doesn't matter. This is the heart of what John is saying in these verses. We're not supposed to feel that way about sin. Because God is holy. And if we truly believe, if we truly claim to have relationship with God, then we will hate sin in the way that God does. And we will as the scripture says, flee from sin, run from sin with all that is in us. As if sin was chasing us like a hound to devour us. When God spoke to Cain in the book of Genesis, he said to Cain, sin is at the door, crouching. You know, they talk about, is it, Crouching tiger and hidden dragon? Or is it hidden dragon and crouching? I don't know. Crouching tiger and hidden dragon. That's what sin is like. Crouching at the door, looking for an opportunity to come in and devour us. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen? Let me just highlight this before I move on. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. 
for the wages of sin, the payment for sin, the just reward for sin is death. Eternal separation under God's wrath. Eternal separation from God under his wrath. That is the just reward. You go to work, you do a day's work, you expect to get a day's pay. When you get your pay slip at the end of the month and you see that it's a miss, you're going to call personnel. What's going on with my money? Because you have an expectation that you should be repaid for what you have done. And God is fair. God is just. God repays to all people for what they have done. Except those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who took the punishment and paid the penalty for what you have done and what I have done. And so what does it look like to have faith in Jesus? Well, firstly, it's recognizing that where in him is trusting that he will come. In verse 3, those who have this hope purify themselves. So we understand that Jesus will come again as he promised because we have faith in him. And it motivates us to holiness. And then in verse 5, we recognize not only will he come again, in that that motivates us to holiness, but Jesus has come already and dealt with sin. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Jesus appeared to take away sin. We think about John the Baptist in John 1, when he saw Jesus coming, and he said to those who were gathered by the River Jordan to be baptized, Look, here is he, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In Isaiah chapter 53, it was prophesied that the Messiah would do this. The Messiah would come and take away the sins of the world. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What does it mean to be a transgressor? 
I could say the word properly. It means to be a lawbreaker. It means to be one who oversteps the law, who goes beyond the law, And yet, Jesus was numbered. He was counted as a transgressor. And he bore or he took upon himself the sin of many. And so we recognize and understand that Jesus appeared and he appeared to do a job to take away sin. And he was able to do that because in him there is no sin. How could he defeat that which he was a slave to? He wasn't. And because he wasn't, he was able to defeat sin. And as we read in chapter 1, not only does that provide forgiveness for us, but it provides cleansing, 1 John 1 verse 9. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just, not only to forgive us our sin, but also cleanse us of unrighteousness. And so if we're being cleansed of unrighteousness, then it would surely suggest that sin will become less and less of a factor in our lives, which is why in 1 John 3 verse 6, it says, no one who abides in him keeps on Remember, habitually and intentionally sinning. And furthermore, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I love this verse because it, it speaks to the heart. You can say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. And yet, have you, have you really had a revelation in your heart of the, of the fact that Jesus has borne your sin, that he took your sin? Have you had a revelation? Has the Spirit of God opened the eyes of your understanding to really appreciate that for you, Jesus suffered, tortured, tormented, crucified, pierced with a sword? For you, so that you could be forgiven. Because if we really understand that, we're not going to sin. We're not, we're not going to willfully and willingly and joyously sin and feel like we're benefiting. And feel like we're being satisfied. We're not, we can't do that. We can't do it. Because of what Jesus done for us. If we really have an understanding... And this is what John's saying. If you can just carry on sinning casually like it's nothing, you don't understand. You haven't seen Jesus. You don't know him. You don't know him. You don't know what he's done for you. You don't realize that he's taken away your sin and what he had to go through in order to, in order to do that. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who loves Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If, when, to know him is to love him. To love him is to keep his commandments. To love him is to do his will. And it's because we know, it's because our eyes have seen, that our hearts have been enlightened by the reality of what Jesus has done 
for me, for you, personally. When we see sin promoted around us, we won't celebrate it. We won't celebrate the videos and the music and the films and the, all the media that is promoting sin like it's glorious. Our hearts will be grieved. We won't look at sin in our own life as if it's excusable. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And then John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Bearing in mind, this was the issue, right? We just read about the heretics who came out from among them in the verses prior to this, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2. The heretics who were trying to distort the, the character of Christ, they were trying to either deny his deity or say that he wasn't a real man. And so therefore, sin doesn't matter. Once you've got secret knowledge and enlightenment, that's all you need. If you have enlightenment, then what you, whatever you do in this body isn't going to affect that because it's not going to change what you know and you are saved by what you know. Huh. Very subtle heresy. We're not saved by what we know. Some people think, well, you know, I keep a Bible. I have it open by my bedside. I read my Psalms every now and then. Surely, that makes me right with God. You could come to church every week. You could preach in the pulpit every Sunday. If that's the basis of your salvation, then you're going to hell. If that's the basis of my salvation, then I'm going to hell. Because it's not based on what I would do. It's not based on what anyone can do apart from what Christ has done. Our response to that is one of adoration, one of a supreme desire to please God because he is so glorious and he has been so pleasing to me in ways that I do not deserve. And so our response is to practice righteousness, to seek to please God, to desire to please. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can find ourselves in a situation where we know that God's word says that we mustn't do a thing. Let's just be real. So that, that, un, that unbeliever, we shouldn't be unequally yoked with that unbeliever. And in our hearts, we're tired of being single and we just want to be married. And, you know, he's a really nice guy or she's a really nice girl. She's really upright, comes from a good family. She can cook. She, she dresses modestly. And she has all of these moral qualities. And we get to the point where it's a problem for us. Oh, Lord, we get on so well. Oh, Lord, she seems so just amicable. She's even considerate of my faith. Oh, Lord. And we wrestle and we struggle and we don't want to do the will of God. And if we find ourselves in a place where we follow our feelings, we rationalize, we excuse and justify, then 
we step into the realm of sin and walk in unrighteousness. Because in that moment, we're not seeking to please God, we're seeking to please ourselves. So John says, whoever practices, whoever is intentional about and goes hard after righteousness is righteous. Even as he is righteous. Now, John doesn't mess about. He doesn't mince his words. You might have thought that that was intense. But John takes it to another level. He says this. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The devil has a career in sin. And from the outset, from from he embarked on that career, that's all that he's been about. Relentlessly, completely focused, completely committed to sin. To lawless rebellion against God. There's only two camps. There's only two teams. And John is saying, if you are practicing sin, understand that you are on the devil's team. You're on the devil's team. Now, when I was younger, I was, I was, I was kind of conniving, to be honest. I was quite deceptive. And um, I used to enjoy playing basketball. And there was a, a team, that I, a local team in South London that I used to train with, the Brixton Top Cats. I used to train with the juniors. <laughs> and so I used to train with the juniors, and I used to like, like the, the, you'd have the junior training session, and then the seniors would come, and we'd all kind of be there watching the seniors watching their skills, trying to learn and so on, watch the training and whatever. There were times that I would go on the coach with the um, teams when they was going to games and so on and so forth. Um, But I never played for the juniors. I was never on the team. But I like to give the impression that I was. (laughs) Because I used to have the kit. (laughs) You know, it was probably like two seasons old, but no one didn't need to know that. Used to have the kit, go to the training sessions, see me walking down the road with my leather ball and just going to Dick Shepherd and Tulsa Hill there, and that's where we used to play. And people were like, Are oh, you with the Top Cats? Oh, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It didn't matter how much I pretended to be on the team, I wasn't on the team because the coach never picked me. Not once, not for one game. (laughs) And the reality is that I didn't have the character or the qualities or whatever it was to be on that team. I wasn't known to the coach. (laughs) The manager didn't have my name on his books. And the reality is that sometimes people can be deluded into thinking, you know, I do Christian things and I go to church and surely that qualifies me for being on the team. No, there needs to be a change of heart. There needs to be a transition because if you're an individual who continues to practice sinning, then you're of the devil. 
You're on the devil's team. That's what he's about. And yet here is hope. Here is opportunity. Here is an an invitation. Put down your pride and surrender and submit your life to Jesus Christ as Savior. Why? Because the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy to break the chains, to loosen and release those who believe from the works of the devil. And so what would the choice be? Righteousness or sin? Will it be Seeking to please yourself or please God. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So in verse 6, he had said, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Why? Because they've not seen him or known him. In verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. So he's reiterating the point, and yet he's going to take it further. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, what does it mean that God's seed abides in him? God has done an incorruptible work in the heart of those that believe. In some places, it's recognized as being born again. Some people use the term regeneration. But basically, it speaks about the change of heart that God gives to the individual who believes. And that change of heart comes about by God's word. It is God's word that achieves that change of heart. In 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23, we see this communicated. Having purified your souls by your, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Some translations say, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the living and abiding word of God. When an individual receives the gospel, it results in a change of heart that remains, that continues, that does not revert back to its former state. 
This is why we see that it's unbiblical to suggest that a person can lose their salvation. Because if, when a person is saved by God, he changes the heart from the inside, how can that then be reverted back? We see nothing in scripture that says that an, an individual's heart can revert back to its former state. And so the suggestion would be one of two things. Either that person never knew him in the first place, or they are, for a season, living as a prodigal, but will be drawn back to the Lord. But we can be encouraged who believe that God's seed, his word, remains constantly in us, energizing our hearts, to the point where for us to continue practicing sin goes against the grain. It, 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 it's such that it, it, it bothers us, it torments us, it causes us pain, it causes us emotional angst. And if you're in a place as a believer where you're feeling that, then rejoice because you're his. Christian experiencing sin in your life and it doesn't bother you, and it doesn't cause you angst, and it doesn't cause you pain, and it doesn't cause you to be troubled, and it's, then, you know what? That's when you need to actually be worried. But he who is born of God cannot keep on sinning. It just gets to that place where we have no peace and we just, we know we have to give it up. And that's clear evidence that you've been born of God, that you are his. God's seed abides in you. In 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says that if anyone be in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And so that regenerative work is thorough and it's deep and it is lasting, it is sustaining to the point where it changes our very identity. So many of us can rejoice and look back as Christians on those things that we used to love that we no longer love anymore. Those places that we used to go that we can't go anymore. The things that we used to do that we can't do anymore. Because it just, it don't sit right with us. We have no delight in them. We have no, they have no appeal to us. Maybe you were one of those Christians who was a raver. And you came to the Lord and you can look back on that time when after submitting your life to Christ and being made new and just having a new heart and a new outlook on life, you know, you were convinced by some friends to go back to that rave that you used to go to. And you, and you went there and you stood there and you just felt like a fish out of water. And you're like, wow, come on. There's actually more to life than this. I can see it now. Thank you, Jesus. And so that is the work of God. Why? Because you've truly been born of God. 
And so you can rejoice at that evidence in your heart and that evidence in your life. And John says, look, by this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. He's making it clear. He's underlining the point. There are going to be those who say they are, and they have a very casual, they have a very nonchalant, couldn't care less approach to sin. They have some kind of rationalization. They have some kind of justification. Ah, it's not my fault. You know, in our culture today, what is it? We redefine sin. It's a sickness. Oh, you know, it's just cultural differences. People are kind of talking about this, not phenomena, this kind of trend, this dance trend. It's supposed to be a dance. I don't understand which part of it is dancing. And they call it twerking. If you know nothing about it, then praise God, don't bother even look it up. But it's basically gyrating oneself in a sexual manner and yet calling it dancing. Back in the day, we would have called it whining. And people look at it and say, that's so off key. And yet, you put it in a different cultural context and it's celebrated. And I'm like, you know what? It isn't culture that defines what's right and what's wrong. It is Christ. So let's not try and change the boundaries of what sin is and what sin isn't. Because those same dances, you look at it in certain other cultural settings and it seems like it's cool, it's fine. Even amongst Christians. Watched a Christian music video the other day and I was like, huh? But you know, it was an Afrobeat tune, so it's okay, isn't it? Really? And so let's not succumb to people's redefinition of sin. It's just personality problems. You see, this is the deception that we're being warned against. There is no excuse or justification. Let's just call a spade a spade. Sin is sin. And what needs to happen is there needs to be repentance. And the cross of Christ needs to be applied to our hearts as being the only means of true freedom from sin and righteousness before God. And so, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Don't get it twisted. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. And by this statement, the Apostle John introduces the next section of concern with regards to how we relate to one another as Christians and the evidence that that demonstrates as to whether we truly know God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But then he also went on to say, by your love for one another, 
All people will know that you are my children. And so we'll get into more of that next week. I'm going to ask the guys to, um, the band to come and join me. Right at the heart of those verses, those six verses, we see the statement, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he, speaking of Jesus, is righteous. Is your life characterized by a desire for righteousness? Is your life evidenced by acts that are clearly for the glory and pleasure of Christ Jesus? Are you more concerned with pleasing yourself and doing your own thing? Little white lies. It's not really stealing. Doesn't matter anyway. You see, these are things that reveal where our hearts are really at. And the issue isn't now to try and be a better person and just be morally upright. The issue is to surrender the heart to Jesus and acknowledge and confess, agree with God, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus is the only way I can be forgiven. And, and I ask you to forgive me, Lord God. Take my life. Make it yours. Make it clean. I give you me. I give myself to you right now in surrender to you, Lord God. Because you are holy and I am not. And I want to be like you. I want to please you because I saw the price that you paid for my sin in giving your son as a sacrifice for me, taking what I deserved, the due payment, the reward for my sin. He took it. And if you would say that, it's because God's work is going in, in your heart and in your life. And it's because he's truly, by his spirit, speaking to you, wanting to make you his own. And he invites you to be his. And for those of us who are Christians who rejoice at the fact that sin is a torment to us, that when we sin, it breaks our hearts because we know that Christ was broken for our sin. Let us rejoice at that and let us recognize that Jesus done the job that he came to do. He came to destroy the work of the devil. And Jesus done it and he done it well. And on the cross he cried out, it is finished. Job complete. Game over. It's done. 
And so we're no longer victims. We're no longer slaves to sin. But we have been freed by the risen Savior. Having been resurrected from the grave, it was clear that he won. That he, he established the victory over the devil and over sin. Let's stand. Lord, we thank you so much just for your faithfulness and your goodness toward us in that you sent your son to be the sacrifice for our sin. Not only that we might be forgiven, but that we also would be able to live lives pleasing to you. And you have given us your spirit by means of the incorruptible seed of your word. The power of your spirit has changed our hearts and our lives, Lord. And we say thank you. We say thank you. And may our lives be characterized by righteousness. That people would be able to look at us and not wonder who we are. But they would see us clothed in the robe of your righteousness. And that our ID would be clear. And the evidence would be clear that we are yours. Continue to have your way among us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Time is in 
are the name. You are the name above all names. You are worthy of our How great is our God? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? Oh, see how great, how great is our God truly is great. The Bible tells us that he is rich in mercy and great in love. And yet we also appreciate that God is a great and awesome wonder in that he is powerful beyond measure and he is filled with justice and holiness. And if God would truly be just, he must punish sin. And if you continue, if you're here, and you do not have a genuine relationship with God, and you continue in that way, the Bible says that you are heading straight for judgment. You're heading straight for judgment. If you walk out of here and die tonight, you will go to hell unless you repent. The Bible says that we're to flee from the wrath that is to come. And I'm not going to mince words and have your blood on my hands. God invites you to be free from sin, to have a changed heart and a new life, to experience forgiveness and freedom from slavery, to the sinful ways that plague your life but it's really for you to make that response tomorrow really is not promised to anyone don't take today for granted Lord God we thank you that you are great you're awesome Lord Lord, we should so really get what we deserve. We really should get what we deserve. We deserve justice to be executed upon us for the endless and repeated ways in which we've sinned against you. And yet in your mercy, Lord, you've withheld judgment, Lord, even to the point of actually pouring it out on your son that whoever believes would have eternal life. 
Thank you, Lord. You're great. And Lord, we are constantly reminded of the greatness of your power, the awesomeness of your holiness. And I pray, Lord, that no one would leave this place taking your goodness for granted, but rather that it would lead them to repent. Thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit. Have your way. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.